Well, hello there, and welcome to the Tim Herschelberger Experience. My name is Tim Vuschelbloom, and I'm your host. This is episode 88 of the Tim Vuschelbaum Show. We've been doing this since about 2021, there, About two years ago, exactly. Two years ago. So when I started this daddy here, damn dare damn birthday, I was going to do a little thing, and I was going to do I used to be sure to slow, I used to be sure to do take name, daily, one nine days, now when you're kind now when you're kind I ain't even had a kid since 98. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, I'm celebrating the two-year anniversary of this program, and it's a party. What a party, man! We should light some candles behind me. There needs to be some more background ambient lights for ambience, because it's just a plain wall. Anyway, my name is Tim Verschelblurm. If you didn't catch that introductory part where I said that my name is Tim Verschelblurmer, Blom, however you say it, it changes day to day. Tim Verschelblam, Verschelblam. Anyway, two years ago I started this. Let's get serious. I started this podcast two years ago, and they did, 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 Let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Sober update. I'm a sobriety. I'm a sober man. Sobrin. I'm a soberman. I'm a soberman. I'm a, and a soloman. I'm a solo man and a solo man. Soloman. That's a Jewish last name. It means that you, you do things alone. I'm a solo man and a soberman. So anyway, two years ago is when I quit the diseased... In the, the filthy habit of being a uh, person who likes to drink alcohol uh, pretty much every day that they do that they go out or when they stay in it's fun sometimes it's fun to just get drunk at home and then maybe go for a drive a couple you know and try not to get caught it's fun to just be like in the middle of the night to just get drunk and drive to a different town and then see what ha- and just see if you get away with it. That's fun. And, and being drunk makes you w- more willing to do daring stuff. When you're sober, taking a drive for no reason is not a joyride. It's not as fun because you're just, it's like, okay, I'm putting miles on my car. I'm spending money on gas and t- wearing out my wheels. And I, I might hit something. In the middle of the highway going 85. This could only be a negative. I'm not gaining another. But, but if you're drunk. It's like this is fun. It's fun to drive drunk. It puts other people's lives in danger. But. only If you're, if you're just a little buzzed. Not really. If you have ADHD. It gives you the dopamine that you need. And relaxes the hyper focus. Or hyperactivity. Actually, being drunk with ADHD uh, is actually makes you a better driver. So that's how I uh, justify it. But I don't do it anymore either, so I don't really care. I don't really feel guilty about something that I haven't done in two years that I wasn't even that didn't even cause any problems in the first. You know, I only killed a few people, if you could call them. Pe- they weren't people. They were animals. I consider them animals. The people that I killed in my car. I'm just kidding. I never killed any people in my car because I didn't have a big enough car to do that. I didn't have a cyber truck because it didn't exist. That was my plan about two years ago too. More than two years ago at this point. When I first decided to buy a car, I was going to be like, I was. I put a reservation in for a cyber truck. And that was like three years ago. Ain't got no cyber truck. They don't exist yet. They exist, but they they're clunky. They look ugly. Without the mirror, with the with the stupid side mirrors, in the window wiper, 
It's such a disappointment, man. What about nothing about it is cool anymore, especially with Elon being overexposed and just his personality is everywhere in buying Twitter, his personality. It's not looking good for Tesla. The stock is down because they missed earnings by like 6%, which is like billions of dollars. They, they, they're screwing up. So it's not an exciting company right now. It's worth still like $800 billion, which is insane. So it's overpriced, overbought, and it could tumble. It could go back down to $100 a share. So anyway, we're not going to talk about it. Let's just finish up this topic with a sober update. I'm still sober is the point of this long-winded uh, announcement is that I just hit two years sober from alcohol. So that's a pretty big milestone because it's like, wow, you haven't been drunk in two. That's like so long ago that it's like you don't even remember what it's like. Let's be honest, it's not that long ago. I still fully remember what it feels like to drink that first beer. I was a beer guy. Beer's a good drink. I wasn't picky when it comes to beer. Uh, but then, yeah, it, it, even just that first beer, that's when you kind of wake up for the, like, okay, I'm awake. My personality is now turned on. I no longer just want to hide in my cocoon. Gives you energy, makes things lighter. I was doing it for me. I was doing it for many reasons. It was a medicine, a medicinal, social lubricant, and uh, you didn't. You can't get much done on alcohol except for having a good time. And you could write stuff. You, it's great for writing jokes and doing jokes, uh, performing. I guess a little bit. And um, for writing uh, songs. Alcohol is great for creativity, I guess. It's hard to say. Because without it, I'm definitely not creative. But So I'm, it's either I'm zero, I have zero creativity without uh, some sort of like drug. So I don't think alcohol is the best one for it. But it's one that definitely helps with like writing and I don't know it puts you in the mood to just but other drugs do that not weed weed is good for creativity for about 10 to 30 minutes and then it dries up and turns into the opposite of creativity it turns into like having a destructive critical sense of what's it's like makes you critical towards what you used to think was creative it's like no that's stupid it's just crazy how it just goes from you get or this huge rush of creativity and focus. You could clearly think that you're a genius artistically, and then 30 minutes later, you think you're a hack, and there's no point in pursuing any creative goals. So weed is not. I don't. I don't do weed. I haven't done weed in almost a year, like 10 months. So I'm not doing those drugs anymore. I'm doing other drugs, uh, which are just as... They're better. If obviously, they're better. I wouldn't be doing them if they were worse. But they have... It's all about trade-offs. Everything's all about trade-offs. If you want performance-enhancing chemicals, you're going to be paying... You're going to be losing out on the benefits of the others that they... in taking, like, for example... Uh, speed, speed stimulants in general are f great drugs to be, they're pretty much like the best drug. Uh, if you had to pick a drug to do for the rest of your life, it would be probably, hopefully it would be a stimulant. Unless you're somebody in pain, then I guess you could pick an opiate. Opiates are the second best, you know? But that, those are mostly for sleep and like being sedated. You need both. You need both. You need a speedball to get through life. Everybody needs a speedball, and I feel like that's kind of taken away from how good the heroin is, because it's called a speedball, but it only has half. That's only half of what makes it a speedball. 
A speedball is half speed, half downers, half heroin or alcohol, depending on the type of speedball. A speedball is just a stimulant mixed with a depressant, and you get this synergistic, beautiful effect of having no anxiety and extreme quickness and folk like ability to like lock onto something. You're awake, but have no anxiety because it rounds off the bad parts of both drugs. You're not sedate, but you're not anxious. So you're perfect. Speedballs make you a perfect human being. They make you not over-emotional. They just make you go, yeah, everything's great. I feel great. So it makes you, you're not going to do anything bad if you feel good, right? Because you already got what you need. You're just going to go to church. You don't even have to go to church because you already got what you need in life. You're not seeking anything extra when you got a speedball. You just need another speedball. That's it. You just run out. Of uh, once a, you just go, okay, I'm fine for 20 minutes. I'm fine for about 20, 15 minutes, and then I want another speedball. But in those 20 minutes, you don't need anything. You're just happy to be wherever you are. But anyway, so, so if I had to pick one drug, it would be a speedball. But that's a <laughs> that's cheating, man. God would be like, or the genie, whoever's granting you this wish, would be like, you can't get two drugs, you cheater. Good try. That's what they would do. That's what the genie would do. That would be, well, that would be two wishes. That's two wishes right there. You, you sure about that, buddy? I hope it's a good genie who at least warns you ahead of time. Like, yeah, that's two wishes, buddy. That's two out of three wishes. So what is the third one going to be? An infinite supply of both drugs? I guess. Because the first the first two wishes are just to have those two drugs for the rest of your life. But how much doesn't answer that question. It's an infinite supply. I think those, that counts as just two wishes. But if, okay, why is it can't just be one wish? Why can't you just wish for speedballs? Well, because that's not what I'm framing the question. I'm not framing the question is that i'm framing the question as if you're going to pick one drug for the rest of your life for me it would definitely at this point in my life forget about the last 40 years of it i'm still in the first 40 and hopefully that's the only 40 years that i'm gonna hopefully i don't have to worry about the second 40 years because i'll have died from a speedball by then but if I had to pick any, you know, one class of drugs for the rest of my, it'd be speed, stimulants, because they take away the depression, because they give you the dopamine tenfold what you would normally have, just getting out of bed. You wouldn't even be able to get out of bed without some stimulant if you're me, if you're talking about myself in particular. I need a stimulant even just to get to the stimulants. To even take the stimulant, I need a stimulant. Unless it's like right on my nightstand, then I guess I could just take 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 it. But I need the stimulant to get to the starting point of even thinking about having a fun day. And even then, it only lasts a couple of hours. So you know, so it would be stimulants because uh, you know they're they're sustainable. If you have ADHD, that's the cure for ADHD. Just to always be on a super powerful stimulant, pretty much the strongest one known to mankind. Just be on that for 24 hours a day. You let it wear off a little bit so you could sleep. You don't want to be like a meth head. Those people are not contributing to society because they're too tired. They take, They go on a bender and then they... I don't know what, how do you do anything productive if you're sleep deprived and then you got to sleep for four days, whatever, different folks, different strokes. For me, I prefer to have some balance of a sleep cycle where, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, wake up at the same time every day. That's healthy. But at the time that I'm awake, yeah, I'm going to be on a stimulant, several, at least one type of stimulant. Because, of course, there's not just one. Coffee is a stimulant, but on its own, coffee is a joke. 
Coffee is is the is like a kid's. It's terrible. It just gives you the jitters. You can't rely on it all day. It's good for the first cup. The first cup of coffee is bliss because you don't get the jitters. You just get this added wave of warmth and focus that motivates you in addition to the stronger stimulants that are already kicking in. You wait for the good shit to kick in, the Vivance or whatever your pick is, whatever, the meth to kick in. And then once you get that going, it's like, oh, I want more. I'm not fully, I'm not like on a speedball. I still have a desire to feel even more of this effect because I'm not tweaking. I'm not taking a street-sized, drug addict-sized dose. I'm taking a medical, legit prescribed dose that they actually legally give to people that's not like not uh for fun so if you want to have a little fun he's like well coffee it has a synergistic effect and that lasts for a couple an hour or two and then the second cup of coffee is horrible it just gives you the jitters and doesn't feel good it gives you a dull headache I'm talking about you i don't know about me i don't know what the hell it does for me Talking about you, everybody else. No, that's what it does for me. Some people could drink more. I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. So anyway, hard stimulants. The kind that don't give you that superficial jittery. That The kind that are, are like in the background. You, you feel them, but they're more smooth. They're soothing. That's how you know they're working. It's the opposite of coffee. Second cup of coffee, it's like, okay, I have like this annoying pulsating headache that doesn't make me want to get to work. It's fatiguing at that point. Stimulants, the good, the strongest kind, they, you know how they're working because they're soothing. It's like, oh, I'm no longer freaking out. My brain is no longer exhausted. It's now energized and relaxed at the same time makes you excited about what is to come in the day that's what dopamine is it makes you excited makes you motivated it's like oh i can't wait it gives you this drive to get more to reach a goal so you get an even more dopamine so anyway that's what i'm doing so stimulants is where it's at the only problem is I don't have enough. That's the problem. Okay, so that's the sober update is I'm still sober from alcohol and weed. and uh, But I I want more of the real, of good shit. The shit that keeps me safe from those evil drugs like pizza. Pizza's a drug. And I come from Chicago. This is kind of like a sore subject of a sensitive subject for me, area, gray area. For me, because I like deep dish pizza, it's part of my DNA. It's like embedded in who I am as a person. My personality is based on the fact that I like deep dish pizza. It's a no-brainer. It's like, of course, I like deep dish pizza because I'm from Chicago. So when I see somebody talking shit about it, I take it as a personal attack um, I can't explain it because I know it's not rational to think that everybody should like something but if they do that if they talk shit about deep dish pizza I take it as an affront on my personality and uh, so anyway but I don't do deep dish anymore but the, but the reason I brought it up is because that's the best kind of pizza that's the best kind of pizza I guess for for me it is so I would prioritize probably getting that kind of pizza, which is also the most fattening type of pizza. It makes you fat. If you didn't know what I meant by fattening. Not fatty. Fattening. As in it makes you fat. It doesn't mean it's high in fat. It's high in carbohydrates. Carbohydrates. Which does not hydrate you. It's carbohydrate. So carbon. So anyway, it makes you fat. Because of the bread. That's the only part that makes you fat. But that's also the best part. A pizza without a crust. Is disappointment. 
I've done it before. I've even gotten the sausage crust from Lou Malnati's. I've gotten that like at least a handful of times, at least five times. And it's disappointing. You get the sauce, you get the cheese, so it's good. A little bit, but then you get this super dense, unsatisfying part that's leaking oil all over. It's the most, it's, it is fatty, but it doesn't make you fat because it's ketogenic. So it's like, okay, I ate a Lumelnati's pizza. It was filling, but does that mean it was satisfying? No. Keto food is not satisfying. It, it's, it's satiating. That's a different freaking word. You don't get satisfied from a ketogenic diet because it doesn't spike your blood sugar levels. That's what makes you satisfied when you put your body through hell, when you give your organs this intense swelling, when you give them uh, inflation. That's what your body wants to be satisfied. When you cause your blood level, blood sugar levels to spike and your inflammation levels to spike, then you can stop eating because it's like, okay, I feel good now. I gave my body a chore. So now I could relax and focus on something else, like recovering from what I just did by lying down and going to sleep for a few hours. So that's what I that's what's satisfying. Eat a real deep dish pizza from Lou Malnati's with a real crust. What is a pizza without a good crust? So anyway, that's a drug. That's why I brought it up. It's because this is a sober update. And so if you're doing pizza, that's a worse drug than speed. Uh, if you have... This is all with the added caveat in the asterisk uh, that you need ADHD to qualify for taking speed 24 hours a day. If you're just a regular average Joe who some by some miracle just wakes up with no problem, just rolls out of bed and is like, I'm excited, I'm going to get to work. And you somehow are motivated to go through life with your natural state of brain chemistry. To me, that makes you a freak. People that don't have ADHD are the weirdos. Like, really? You just enjoy waking up to do the same thing every day you enjoy that well i could enjoy that with about ten thousand dollars worth of speed the street value a month then yeah i could have a great month it's expensive to get through life with these chronic conditions man that's just one of my chronic conditions so anyway that's a sober update i'm i'm it's a big milestone i'm not ever going back to uh, alcohol unless my life improves it to the point where I feel like, you know what? I'm in my second 40 years of life. If I make it to my second 40 years of life, that's when I'll start going down that rabbit hole because I won't care. You know, if I'm in my 50s, 60s, then I'll start acting like a jerk again. Unless I want to be a good role model, whoa, which I won't because nobody, because I'll I'll do that. Nobody will look up to me by by then, hopefully. But if they do, fine. I won't. Then maybe I'll I'll, I'll consider staying to my guns, sticking to my sober, just because it pays money. Being a good role model is very lucrative if you're good at it. If you're good at the business side of being a good. Ro- you know, if you if you don't know how to sell yourself as a good role model, there's a lot of money in it. There's all these losers that look up to that. They'll pay, they'll, they'll subscribe to your Patreon. All right, so now that we got that subject out of the way, the next chronic condition that I have is sleep apnea. And I don't really know if, if that's what it is that I'm struggling with because I use the damn CPAP 
And it doesn't help. It doesn't help with the symptoms of whatever it is that I am struggling. It could I could get it down to where I'm not having any events, you know, because I'm wearing the stupid mask glued to my face. It's not letting a single drop of air. It's not leaking any air, and it's it's lowering the amount of events. I'm you know the events where I stop breathing, whatever you call it. So it's solving the apnea, but it's not solving the sleep quality. I'm still waking up groggy with a headache and having dreams throughout the night that are more vivid than real life. It's horrible. That started when I quit weed. And it ain't getting any better by any drop of a pan. At the drop of a hat, it's not getting better. The opposite of that. It's happening way slower than a drop of a hat. It's happening at the drop of a piano. No, what, what's, what drops really slow? What doesn't drop? That's how fast it drops. That's how fast this thing is dropping. It's dropping at the speed of the sun. Because the sun does not drop very fast. Unless you're talking about the sunset. What doesn't drop? Okay, whatever. I'm not good at thinking of analogies on the fly, clearly. So sleep apnea, I don't think that's even the problem. I think it's something else. And I tried six masks so far. They're, I could get them to, to work every year. I could get it to stay comfortable throughout the night. So it's not the problem with the mask. I had to go through six of them to find the two that I could tolerate. Uh, but... Oh, yeah, and I tried this stupid mouthpiece because I read that there could be something called floppy epi-something, epiglottis. Yeah, floppy epiglottis is where your stupid throat flops around. This piece of flesh just at the back of your throat kind of just like relaxes too much and obstructs airflow because it's floppy. And as you're breathing in and out, it just kind of flops back and forth that's the disease that i looked up that i thought maybe i have that so i took i bought a mouthpiece that holds your jaw forward to try to keep the airway open and that hasn't been helping at all that hasn't been helping i took cbd a couple nights ago and that seemed to help a little bit get me into a deeper sleep and wake up feeling a little bit like I actually slept. But then I took CBD a day ago. And I almost felt like I was getting high. It gave me like this butt. This weird like. Feeling like I was on an edible. Uh, but it supposedly doesn't have THC in it. So I don't know what's going on man. But I don't do THC. So the tiniest iota. Of THC will get me high as a drop of a hat. So maybe there is like a trace amount. Uh, but whatever. I'm just trying to do something that gets me to sleep better, man. I'm trying all, everything, man. You know how many supplements I have in my cabinet? I might have to open a second cabinet and dedicate it to, to being a medicine cabinet. Because my first medicine cabinet is almost full of fake medicine that doesn't do anything. So anyway, that's how to sleep. That's the update for sleep apnea and sleep health in general and fatigue and uh, chronic uh, fatigue. And I don't think I have fibromyalgia because I don't really have pain. I'm just lazy. I just don't like standing up or even at a, in a chair. I don't even like sitting in a chair. That takes too much work unless I'm on a strong stimulant and it has to be a strong one. Right now... I'm drinking this water that has uh, col- like this stevia coloring in it. You know, just that's why it's off. That's why it's not. That's why it's red. And I put one drop of peppermint oil in there, and that overpowered the entire drink. It tastes like peppermint, like Christmas, like super hardcore. It's powerful stuff. Just one drop. And I don't think you're supposed to drink this stuff. 
But I looked on the bottle, and all it says it's in there is extract, peppermint extract. There's no, like, added chemicals. But it doesn't say to drink it. But the reason I am is because it's so powerful of a scent and it, that it just wakes you up. Just the, It's so potent that just having one drop of it in here, it, it actually, like, wakes me up. It's like, whoa, I got it. I, I, I took a little drink of this stuff. And immediately, I, I folded my laundry and just got the chore over with. I just got it done. And I started a laundry load with my bed sheets in it. And I just heard the beep of the dryer that that's done. So I completed two chores. So anyway, the, and the peppermint, I think, is helping with me to even do this damn podcast. So that's a little trick. If you're in between drug uh, supply of drugs that you actually, you know, the real drugs that actually get you to wake up and do life, try a little bit of peppermint oil in your water. You might be surprised that it gives you a little kick. But also, I don't know if you're legally, I don't know if you're like supposed to do that. I don't think it's edible. I don't think you're supposed to drink peppermint oil, but I'm doing it. I don't give a damn. I'm trying to, I'm doing experiments at this point. At this point, I'm doing my own shit. I, I'm not, I tried everything I could try that's available to me. You know, I put hundreds and thousands of dollars into the, just this machine. The C, CPAP costs over a thousand bucks. And then all the masks I put into it, 100 bucks per mask. So I'm putting in a lot of money into my sleep. And that's that shows that I'm serious about this problem, man. So anyway, that's going great. Next topic is that... Uh, 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 now that we got the boring crap out of the way, what else? Am, what am I doing? Who cares that I'm not doing drugs? Like, okay... Who, the, the whole podcast has just been focused on what I've not been doing. I've not been sleeping well, and I've not been drinking well. Whiskey. So who cares? What have you been doing? No, I, I stressed the wrong word. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? I didn't have to stress the you. What have you been doing? Well, Timmy Gosto. My alternate ego created last year as a gesture of good faith to not use a Jewish last name for comedy and show business and just public whatever. Besides this podcast, this is a legacy. This thing was invented. So I still use it for this because this is a glimpse into the real person, the person that I am. It's not just a persona. It's a personality. And that personality revolves around how I like deep dish pizza. But I don't eat it anymore because I'm on keto. Because I'd rather not be fat than enjoy life. And also it's a drug. That's kind of the whole point is that it's a drug. It's not just that it's an unhealthy piece of food. It's a type of piece of food. Anything that I eat on keto, it kind of gets me through the day to just eat Keto ice cream and beef. If I eat high quality, you know, if I eat like a good steak, that almost hits the spot as much as carbs. But eventually it'll give in. It'll break down because I'm an addict. Eventually I'll be like, I'm buying McDonald's. I don't give, I need that feeling of, of inflammation and glucose glycemic index they didn't invent that for nothing for me to just not use it for me to just not take advantage of the glycemic index in the sense that uh, you know I want to abuse my body and go, go off the chart like I if there's a meter for your glycemic levels I want to use that meter not just have it at zero like okay you're not inflamed you're you're not you have no 
glycemic index. It's zero. Well, what's the point of measuring it then? What's the point of that science in existing if I'm not going to use it at all? I'm, I'm using the science as in I know what's not good for you and I'm avoiding that. Food. That's boring. And my body is telling me, you know, there's a better way. You could feel like you just had sex. You could feel like you... Um, it's the equivalent of, of uh, getting, a, getting a good blowjob. Just get in McDonald's. That's why it's good. That's why people love it. Uh, or you could eat your keto meals and be a meat eater. Be a carnivore. That's not going to work. Anybody who praises the carnivore diet, they're, they're totally scam artists because there's no way they don't fantasize about eating McDonald's. I don't care how locked into it they are. Jordan Peterson eats nothing but steaks. Porterhouse steaks every day three times a day and there's no way he doesn't fantasize about maple syrup there's no way anyway i'm an addict and that's why i don't do those things anymore but that's my so anyway what have i been doing well i've been working on music i'm a music producer by trade and uh, I haven't traded it in a while, actually. I do it for myself, kind of as a hobby, but it'll go out. I'm not a pussy. I'm not going to just produce music and not release it. It's going out uh, on Spotify at some point, you know, because then I could call it a job, because then it will produce a trickle of revenue, and then I could offset the expenses uh, and be like, well, it's my job. So I, it's, my, it's one of my occupations. Who cares if it's only making 10 cents a month? That's still my occupation. And then I could buy more fancy equipment because uh, that's the whole point of why anybody produces music is because it's fun to buy expensive equipment. That's the lust of, of it. It's like it's like porn. It's like you, you see these these pieces of gear... It's like, why don't I have that? If I had that, I could produce beautiful-sounding music. Who cares about the music? Yeah, it's about the equipment. Who cares how good the music is? If it was made with cheap equipment, nobody cares. If you make a song that's not on like a vintage reel-to-reel that, that goes through a vintage Neve console and a vintage... Neumann U47 then what the hell who cares how good the music is I don't care if you're the Beatles if the Beatles used a bunch of solid state microphone amplifiers and used new guitars which they did because everything was new back then but forget about that if they didn't use the good equipment that they had at Abbey Road Studios Nobody would care about We Can Work It Out, Penny Lane. The reason we like those songs because we could hear that it went through great analog gear. So that's the whole point of producing music is uh, to buy bigger and better, super expensive rack outboard gear that goes into your rack. If it's just something that goes on your desktop... It's not professional enough, man. It's got to have enough channels. Or it's got to be professional enough that it goes into a rack. That it takes up at least one. Some of them take up like the whole rack. So anyway, that's what I've been getting into is uh, lusting over gear and uh, trying to be like, okay, you need to justify purchase, purchasing this better gear someday. So at least put out music with the stuff that you have with the gear that you have i got enough gear to produce full productions of songs uh because you could do anything in the box you could do anything with vertical uh, virtual instruments and a basic 
interface that just has one or two inputs. If you're doing it all yourself, you can only really record through one or two mics at a time anyway, unless you're doing drums, which I'm not. I don't do my own drums. I program drums. So that takes zero input. It's all in the box. And sample packs are cheap. You can get super high quality samples from vintage analog gear, such as drum machines from the 80s, 808s, Lindrum. You can get all this, these samples. So then it's up to you to use the samples and program them into drums, loops, and fills, and make them dynamic sounding so it's not just repetitive. That's the art part. But anyway, so that's the part, that's the grind of, of being a producer is actually producing music, not just be like, I got this sexy piece of gear coming. The, but it's fun. So I get, I get re- rewards from it from the satisfaction of finishing a, a, a song or even just progressing, like, because it's when it's over, when I finish a song, it's like, okay, I have nothing else to work. Now I got to start a new one. And it's like, it's, ugh, it's daunting. It's more fun when you're getting towards the end of a song. It's like, okay, I'm finally ready to record the vocals. That's what I do last. I've only done two songs. So what am I talking about? Like I know what I'm talking about. I'm doing cover songs. And I've only done two, and I started over a month ago. I've been doing this for over a month, solidly, and I only got two songs in the can, because that's my level of quality control. That's the amount of effort I'm putting into these cover songs, is that it takes me about two to three weeks Per song, and that's at our average rate of. And I've only done two so far, so hopefully I get I get snappier. See, that's the whole point. I'm not doing cover songs just to do cover songs. I'm doing cover songs to learn how to produce songs in general, so I could eventually do only originals. Forget about covers. If you want to make real money and make a real impression as an artist, you got to make originals. But nobody gives a crap about your originals unless they're very good. So I'm starting out with cover songs. Like the Beatles started out only doing cover songs. It wasn't a thing. It didn't even occur to them to write their own music until other people until they ran out of cover songs. Until they realized, oh, they're competing with other people who are just going to do the same songs as me. We've got to write our own songs. There's no co- competition on the charts. Less competition. But I also want to get good at producing music because if you get into the swing of producing music, you'll get more proficient at the recording process and less stifled when producing your own songs. Also, it sets me up with the recipe of what it takes to finish a high-quality song in terms of if you do a cover song, you have a reference for what it's what it needs in the uh, to, to be considered done. It's like, okay, I'm going to do what they did. You don't even have to do everything they do, but I've been pretty much doing one-to-one covers, basically copying every instrument and every uh, note in the arrangement. I'm copying, I'm cloning the song. It's not even really a cover, it's a clone. It's not a very creative way to do it, but it's the starting point that I'm choosing because I don't even want to think about changing things. I'm not even changing the key or the speed of the song, the beats per minute. I'm doing exactly because I'm just doing it to get better at the production and the process of like, okay, that's enough time. You spent enough time learning this part of the song. We got to finish it up. We got to eventually just decide, okay, is this good enough? Is this... I think this is as good as I'm capable of doing and it's a cover and this is not going to, nobody's going to care how long you spent on the bass learning the solo, but I'm doing everything myself. So it's it's very satisfying when it starts to come together and you hear the cohesiveness of the song as a big sounding, it's like, wow, this this has a lot of things going on. 
and it actually sounds almost as good as a karaoke backing track because you you hear these karaoke backing tracks when you do karaoke and somebody had to produce those they didn't just get them from the studio that produced the original song and drop out the vocals no they had to reproduce the backtracks note per note just like i'm doing so i'm basically just doing that i'm making my own karaoke backing tracks and then singing the lead vocals and everything back every vocal background vocals so I'm making my own karaoke style backing tracks, but they're cover songs because they're not karaoke at that point. You don't call them karaoke when you're the one rebuilding the song. Karaoke is when you're just a singer. So it's a step up from being a karaoke cover guy that just does karaoke covers. Nobody gives a crap about that. I'm making my own backing tracks and listening back to them. They have some sense of flavor to them that is about as good as the as you hear from professional karaoke uh companies it's like okay that's is about equal unequal it's all about as good as that maybe not but those are professionals and if i could do it myself then i'm pretty that's satisfied it shows that i have some ability you know because those are probably produced by not just one person all the time some of them, for sure, but it's much easier if you have a specialty. If you're really good at uh, guitar or bass or just vocals, you could m meld with the other people and get way more steady, like speedy. It's much quicker to produce music when you're not the only idiot in the band. When you're only a guy in the band, it's just you making every... It's like, okay, I got to learn this bass bar. I got to hear these drums and hear these backtracks. See if I could uh, undo the harmonies or unlock the chords and the harmonies because there's no tab. It's not always a... You can't just always look up the score, the sheet music, or the tablature for a cover song because they're not f popular enough you know you could do that with the super popular songs there's enough covers of those songs that you could just be like okay how did they do it it's like okay i'll just copy that because i could clearly decipher because in these rec studio recordings when you're just using your own ears and it's a fully mixed song sometimes things are mixed very quietly and you can't hear if something is a vocal or if, a, if it's a synthesizer or a keyboard because it's so faint and they meld together because they're the same note. It's the same frequencies. So you got to be like, okay, was that really a, somebody going like, ah, or was that just a synthesizer? Because if it was a person, then I got to replicate it. So you, you rely on your stupid ears and you got to keep replaying. That's the worst part is... The amount of times I have to listen to this original song that I'm copying like a hundred times in the same spot, just over and over. Wait, was that was that note there in that in that chord? In that harmony? Am I hearing that note? Is that in there or am I just imagining it? So you play a note, like a D, you get the note in your head, like red D D. It's like, okay, am I hearing that in the song? I know what it sounds like, you know. And sometimes you trick yourself. It's like, yeah, I guess it's in there. So that's the long. That's the hard part. Is like, that's what sucks about doing cover songs because you gotta cover somebody else's work. It's like if you're doing your own work, you decide what notes to use. But the reason I'm doing covers is because at least I'll have the building blocks to produce a full song. Because I'll be like, okay, I know what this song has and after enough uh attempts at cover songs i'll be like okay here's what my songs will have it'll have at least these layers to it you'll know if it's underproduced you'll know how much ingredients should go into it based on the experience of doing all these cover songs and i'm only two down but the reason i'm only two down is because i'm not just sitting at this stupid 
computer with a guitar and just being like, okay, here's the chords, and I'm just singing two tracks, guitar and vocals. That's just a couple tracks. And doing a stripped down, unplugged. No, I'm not about quantity. I'm about depth. I'm, I'm about like going deep and not skimping on any of the tracks. So the one I just finished last night, two nights, is uh, it's, a, it's like a Motown song. It's it's like right where he started from, back to right where he started from by uh, who cares? You'll it's uh, is it Nightingale, Maxine Nightingale or something. I can't sing it. It's not totally out of my range, but I uh, I, I didn't change the the key. It was too late. I already recorded the bass and I didn't want to pitch shift the bass I wanted it to sound natural and I didn't feel like recording at a lower key so I already learned it on the normal key so it's at the so it's too high for me so I sound bad I don't sound I sound as good as I think I can possibly sound at that high of a key where I'm going yeah it's very high. It's very yeah. So I just finished it, and the point is, um, is that it's uh, I over-recorded more than I'll need because it's like you know what, just record multiple takes of the same take, and just have it next to the one, and just decide which one you'll use for each second of the song. You could switch back and forth. Who cares if it's all uh, artificially. Yeah, they do that all the time. It doesn't have to be organic, like oh, that was just one take, perfectly through and through. Sometimes I could do that, one take, but not this song. So I just over-recorded, and I and I'll have to whittle it down, and decide. Okay, this is the final product. So that'll take a long time, because there's about fifty tracks. So that's not a stripped down version of the song it's the song it's the original uh, production cloned in my studio uh it's just fun to to see that okay i could reproduce the entire song there's no limitation i'm just limited by my own work ethic and ears and performance ability not by money you don't need that many uh, pieces of gear it's not expensive it just takes time and skill and patient and just be like oh, you know what i gotta get it back i gotta uh keep practicing this stupid solo which uh that's it's a good muscle to learn as an older person i'm becoming i'm an old guy i'm in my mid-30s so to, to learn guitar parts I would never do that if I wasn't trying to do covers. Like I would never be like, "Oh, I gotta learn this Lindsey Buckingham solo." Why? Unless you're doing a cover of his music, what's the point of just knowing a random solo from his music if you're not gonna put it into the whole song? If you're not gonna do the whole thing, or playing a band that does the whole song? It's like, oh, I learned this. Why slave away at something that nobody's gonna care about? like here's the solo from one of his songs from the 80s it's like out of context it's not useful but in context it's fun to be like oh okay here's what it sounds like from my personal guitar i i i, so I had to learn this the solo is not the hard part to learn it's hard to play because it's it ends on a fast Play, pace you have to go down the you have to go down the stupid the fretboard and somehow move your fingers to where they need to go anyway the solo did not take as long to learn as this outro guitar part that was just very uh it seemed like not that complicated when you're listening to it but when you have to play it it's like okay i could play it when i look at the tab eventually I'm going to lose where I'm at and you got to just memorize it. For me, I can't just play by looking at a tab because it's scroll. Like, 
it's possible, but if I to play it perfectly, I have to just memorize it and not just look at a stupid thing because then I could really get the the muscle memory to flow. You know, I can't just look at a tab. Some people maybe could do a perfect job doing that. So I just had to memorize it, and this is like a 30-second long guitar part, which is a long time because it's a 1,000 notes. It's like a 100 notes at least that I had to memorize, and it's deceptively simple. It's like, okay, but it's complicated. The, the, like you could do a lot with not that many notes. So that took multiple days. And then I just noticed that I was starting to memorize things easier as I was practicing the skill of memorizing music. It's like, okay, I'm actually, I could, I, I was like, I can't believe I'm actually learning this whole thing. And then I got to the point where I had it fully memorized. Now I just had to play it perfectly. Because I wasn't going to punch in for this. I wanted to actually just do it in one take. It just felt too cheap. With vocals, I don't care about punch-ins. Because vocals, you just want to get them to fit in the song. And if you get tired towards the end of the song, you don't want that. You want vocals to sound good the whole way through. So punching in, I'm fine with that for vocals. For guitar stuff... I did it a lot for this other guitar part that goes through the entire song because I wasn't going to memorize that. But the outro part that was about 30 seconds long, I did that one take in mem- after memorizing it for multiple days. And now that it's memorized, I still remember it. It's, it's, it only took about two days to memorize. Felt hopeless at first. And now it's just in my fingers. I could just play it whenever I want now anyway so that's so I'm putting so I'm gonna I finished two songs they're they're fully tracked as so the next step is to mix it and master it I'm not I'm just I mean mastering I guess you could send it to somebody else but I don't really think it's gonna matter that much it'd be cool to find a good mastering engineer who has analog gear, who has like $200,000 worth of analog gear and really knows how to master. I used to know somebody like that, and they only charge. They were very reasonably priced because nobody nobody uses mastering engineers. They don't. It's not high demand for mastering engineers. Uh, but if there's one that really knows what they're doing, and they would put my stereo, you know, my two tracks, two stereo mix, two tracks is stereo. They would put it through their analog gear from the 70s and 80s. Like, it would go through their console and then reel-to-reel to give it tape saturation, and they would put it probably through preamps and uh, EQs. They would actually make it sound beefy and smooth and sexy and professional. But I'm not going to do that for these two cover songs because I could do that when I'm actually... When I know what I'm doing. But these will be released under Timmy Gusto's name. He is the artist. I am just the producer engineer. And he's going to eventually write his own songs. I mean that's the goal. But to get into the mood of writing songs. you can't, it's, It takes like. You got to do it like every day. It's kind of like stand up. If you don't. If you stop doing stand up for like a month. You're going to totally lose interest. And ability to do it. For me, that's certainly true. I can't even think about doing stand-up unless I'm doing it already every day. Then it's like, okay, I, I'm doing it. Same with songwriting, man. And I've never even written a good song, so I don't even know if I have it in me to even write anything. But it has to be... Who cares? Who gives a crap? And I'm going for a certain mood in the music. It's not about like, oh, he's so good at singing or He's so good at guitar or whatever. It's about the mood of the song. And the mood I'm going for is fun. I want it to be fun because I don't think I could do anything else. I don't think I could do like serious. I can't do like sappy or heartfelt. So I'm going for fun. As in, oh, that's a fun. He's a, he has a funny voice. 
that's what I'm going for for these songs. And it has a western twang to it. Timmy Gusto is a he's going to be a country western singer to some degree and that'll be some of his roots in the way that he approaches music and he has a twang in his voice. Cuz you got to do the best with whatever your god-given uh, gifts are with when you have a voice you're going to do so much to make it interesting, man. And you want your voice to be interesting more than anything else. It doesn't even have to be in tune. In tune, you could kind of fix around in post-production. You know who has a really interesting voice to the point where it's all, it's comical is Shaggy. Shaggy has a ridiculous sounding voice. It's like, what the hell is this? Like the song in uh, that called Angel. You're my angel, you're my darling, baby. Everybody loves that song, but then you see Shaggy come out. I can't, it's more ridiculous than that. He has this husky voice, and it's like reggae style, and it's singing, but it's so unique. And it sounds great in the mix, man. Like, even, it's like, it would sound ridiculous as an acoustic if you just heard it on its own. It's like, what the hell? But you hear it in the mix, and it pops, and it just goes, it blends. It gives such charisma to the song. Uh, it, but it's still ridiculous, but it's st- it works. So you gotta, you can't, but I was like, if this could, if this was a parody, I they, could, they wouldn't have to change anything. Like, how could you do a parody of something that's already absurd? But he's a genius. He's got a great career. I mean, he's a successful guy. So you, you got to be being unique as a singer, as a rapper, as an artist is way more important than being accurate with your pitch or your technique. It's about developing your own technique. And uh, another person that inspires me is uh, Tiny Tim. He's taller than me, so I can't. I, to me, he's like giant Tim. He's like he, he seems pretty big to me. But he went by Tiny Tim. He was a genius, uh, kind of whatever. He was a unique singer. People, he was absurd. To, he was funny. He was weird. But he took himself. He took the song he was doing seriously. He actually cared about. He wasn't just doing it as a joke. He actually loved music. And the music he was into just happened to be like a very old time, turn of the century. Like it came out in the 20s, but then he did covers of it. And it sounds really good. And it's hard to do what he did with the high pitch, uh, the falsetto. I tried it. It's very hard. And also, even if you could replicate it, that's like saying, oh, I could do that when you see a Picasso. It's like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, but you're not, you didn't. You're not Picasso. Just because you have the technical abilities doesn't mean you could just be that artist. They're that artist. They did it first. They did. They they do it in an authentic way. Authenticity. Authenticity is overrated. I'm not saying you have to be authentic. Like, oh, that's not how you would really do it. You're just trying to do something interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. I'm trying to do something interesting. If it happens to work, then it is authentic. Even if it came out of nowhere, even if it came out of your ass, if you if it sticks, then you could do it. And it's it's not purely authentic because you weren't born, you didn't grow up talking in that funny accent. But if it works, then it is you. It is authentic in the sense that there's value to it when you do it. Tiny Tim is whatever. This just reminds me of like stand-up how people get like there's not very few original comedy voices. So if you're only a few years into comedy, you're probably going to be copying other people's voice, and it's, it takes forever. It takes like ten, twenty, probably about fifteen to twenty years to actually nail a new comedy voice. It's impossible. Everybody just copying another cadence like Seinfeld or Sebastian. So when Sebastian actually figured out that he, when he does that over-exaggerated Chicago 
whatever it is, Italian voice. It was beautiful to witness. It's like, wow, that's never been heard. Like, or Dice or whoever else. Dice is, is, an, is an easy one to copy, man, but... There's only so many voices, too, maybe. Who the hell knows? But not really. There's a lot of voices, a lot of notes. There's a lot of melodies that haven't been written yet. Bass lines. I love bass guitar out of any instrument so far is because uh, it's not... I don't know. I just love the feeling of playing a bass line because it's powerful and it holds the song, gives the song a, a structure and backbone that I think is more soulful than the uh the front part of the the high-pitched high-end like the guitars unless it's a guitar-centric song even if it is like led zeppelin songs would be nothing without the bass in a ramble on without the bass line giving it that extra melody on the bottom end that's where the soul i don't know bass is an underrated instrument because that's where the soul comes from eh uh motown would be nothing but there's only so many bass lines you know like and they're so simple man like the best bass lines are like boom 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 ba dum boom 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 ba dum like that's two notes maybe three notes i don't know boom 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 no it's like two i don't know the point is it's simple and like so is there that many how many so whenever i see like a bass is playing like super complicated shit like going up and down, like like shredding on a bass. It's like, it does nothing for me. All you're doing is playing low guitar. So when you're shred, like shredding on a bass, just doesn't do nothing for me. All it takes is two notes to be a great bassist. So that's why I like it because it's it's fun. It's it's uh, satisfying to play bass, man. So anyway, that's my number and instrument right now. Guitar is too much subtlety with the fingers and you gotta be like which string am i on which tiny little thing do i gotta it's more subtle anyway so that was it there'll be so that's the whole point of music coming out i didn't even talk about finance we'll do a finance update next episode i it's not been going great i'm not rich yet at all i've been making big mistakes in the stock market but learning from them and eventually I'll have a big ball of wheel money from the, the, the wheel option strategy, but we don't got time to get into that. But that's what I've been doing all year, all the stock market. Anyway, it's time to say goodbye. This was episode 88, the Hitler episode of the Tim Weisselbaum show. Here we go, we all.